Sunday, Monday, happy gays. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy gays. Thursday, Friday, happy gays. They're best chums. Let's have some fun. Ready to chat with you. These gays of ours. Happy gays. These gays of ours. Happy gays. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ashley Fair Jones. And I'm Jared Hagland. And we are. Gay I think that one worked. I hope so. <laughs> Do you know why it worked? Why? Because tu sei la donna. Who's that? You are the woman. Oh. In Italian. <laughs> I've done a whole 30 minutes of learning Italian, so I'm like virtually, virtually, virtually fluent. Well, you're using it in everyday conversation. That's huge. Right? That's half are the battle. Are you using Duolingo? I am using Duolingo. This episode sponsored by Duolingo. I was learning. <laughs> I was about that to really sell it, but <laughs> I was learning Spanish. It's one of those things where a lot of my lessons are still at the point, or currently at the point where I need to record. I need to speak back to it or hear it. Hmm. Whereas my earlier lessons, I didn't need to speak into it. So I always feel like I need to be in a space, even though it says gives you the option to say. I can't, I can't talk right now. I still feel like I, I can talk right now, so I shouldn't lie to Duolingo. No, I think you Duolingo shouldn't. knows. That's, that's <laughs> going to be a bad habit. I just started it because with um, like the whole Corona thing, my mom was looking for things to do and I like pushed her to start and then she did it for a few weeks and then she kind of like puttered out and stopped and I, I said that she, like she shouldn't and I felt like if I'm really giving this much guff to someone, I should back it up and at least try myself. Oh, for sure. So that's what I did. So I can still give guff. <laughs> it's a good reason. Reason enough for me. So how, how are you, you these past two weeks? Oh, I'm great. Uh, nothing much has really changed, to be honest. Uh, we just came off our May long weekend here in Canada. Does do the Americans have? Yes, Memorial Day. They have Memorial Day this weekend. Oh, okay, okay. It's funny because in Canada we always call it the May two four weekend. I think that's a very Canadian thing. I feel like it's a very Ontarioian thing. Perhaps. Because a lot of their beer comes in two fours. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear it until I went to Ontario, but maybe it's also a lower mainland thing. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I think I started hearing it more as I got older and spent more time with Ontario people, maybe. I don't know. Either yeah. way, May 2-4, I guess because it's the first typically sort of hot enough long weekend to grab a 2-4 a and hit the lake. The cottage if you're in Ontario <laughs> but this weekend it was not not even close to the 24th so it's a little bit funny yeah it was a whole week a whole week behind yeah I got a sunburn though oh good an, job. a nice light one that'll turn into a tan I hope so that was I was victorious in that front I think oh good well this is where I will plug that everyone should get their sunscreen and get new sunscreen I have learned recently that sunscreen does expire, so it is important to get new sunscreen. However, I believe it's also only 60 SPF is like, is, is good. Anything above 60 is kind of a lie because all sunscreens like diminish quality within about 60-ish minutes anyway. 
So higher SPF is just a marketing ploy? Yes. Oh, look at you. Expose on sunscreen. That's right. So get your new sunscreen. Just get 60. Below 15 is also doesn't do anything. I think even below 30 doesn't do anything. So between 30 and 60, go and get it. The hot spot. I rarely wear sunscreen. I um, know. And that's, uh, that's a problem, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely is. Because the damage you do to your skin is, uh, what's it called? Irreparable. Well, yes. But it's also over Preventable. time. Sorry? Preventable. Preventable, yes. You're very good at this. <laughs> cumulative. Yes, it's cumulative. So just because your skin seems to be getting better over the course of winter or fall or spring. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. All you have to do is... Sorry. Uh, <laughs> even though your skin seems better, it seems more hydrated, whatever, the damage that has been done is already done. So all you're doing is making sure it's not getting worse. So it's important to protect your skin sooner. Rather than later. Well, I'll try just for you, but... <laughs> You'll still get a tan. I feel I spent a good chunk from like 18 to 24 where I did a lot of basement living and never really got sun. So I think I've earned myself at least six years where I can really expose it and get some damage and some nice tans. God, I hope we don't have any listeners who've had a loved one who experienced some really serious skin cancer. Or if they did, I hope they message us and tell you to wear your sunscreen. (laughs) Wow, you turned the beginning of summer into a dark thing very quickly. It's just, it's the right time of year to make sure everyone's putting on their sunscreen. Anyways, but that is, it's the beginning of summer. It's going to be a weird summer. Uh, Here in British Columbia, we opened up today. There are stores and restaurants and things open, which is weird. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what it's like to enter any of those establishments. Zach was downtown today and said that like there were full patios and stuff. Wow. Yeah, so. Interesting. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Like I'm optimistic. Like. He said, like, kind of distance, but still quite busy. Oh, but, like, people were there. People went for it. They were oh, yeah. just like, day one, I'm going to the I'm going to the pub right now. May I ask what you kind of thought I meant by full, if not with people? Well, I just thought you meant, like, full on, like, patios exist. <laughs> well, we're breaking news today. <laughs> <laughs> Buy new sunscreen, and guess what? There is an outdoor seating arrangement called a patio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's incredible, though. I am, I'm actually very, I'm just surprised, but also not. I mean, our numbers are good, so I guess people are feeling okay, but I'm just not ready. Yeah, me either, but what can you do? We can, I guess, just be optimistic. (laughs) Yeah, and like we said before, there's a lot of personal responsibility, so if you don't feel comfortable, then you don't go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Good for all of them. I am very curious to see how it all works out for restaurants. They already operate on such narrow margins. So I wonder what it's like when they have to have like half capacity. Are they going to make up the difference? Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm also not an accountant or a restaurateur. Uh, But yeah, I'm like you. I don't see how the the math adds up. Yeah, could have fooled me. Well, with all my insider knowledge of patios existing. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, isn't it?
So, Jarrett. So, Ashley. What you watching? Slash listening. Slash reading. Slash what you putting in you, Ashley Fair. Well, I have spent the last two months, I guess, watching Gilmore Girls. I started from the beginning, season one, episode one, Rory gets into Chilton. They put on some red nail polish on her toes only, because bad girls wear red nail polish on their toes. And Is that why you have red glasses now? Were you inspired? No, no, but I always, I didn't this time, but I always paint my toenails red after watching that episode for that reason. But I guess I've grown. I didn't do that this time. But I watched it all the way through. Um, last week, I finished the, the reboot, the year, A Year in the Life of the Gilmore Girls. And I have to say, oh my gosh, just watching the entire series, holy moly. I still love it. I really love Lorelai. When I was in high school, I really wanted to have her energy and her overall vibrancy. She's a very colorful character. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that I like coffee so much now is because when I was in high school, I started drinking coffee to, you know, be a little closer to being like Lorelai. I wasn't <laughs> going to be a teen mom. That wasn't in the cards, but <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> that really... wasn't in the cards. Now you say it like you could just, damn, just missed it. But <laughs> overall, really, really admired Lorelai Gilmore and thought Rory was all right too. Then you rewatch it. And first off, when the reboot came out, there's a lot of discussion around how unlikable Rory is. Then when you rewatch the entire series with that in mind, you realize how unlikable she is. And you're just like, oh, she is a shitty character. Lorelai's still pretty cool. But then you're rewatching it and you suddenly realize how the comedy is at the expense of others, very homophobic, probably like five, ten percent of the time, which still seems like a lot compared to, you know, how there should be none. <laughs> five to ten percent of the time that they make a joke in like in like involving queer stuff, they don't hit the mark and it's homophobic, or like that much of the show makes jokes. Of their jokes. Wow, that's pretty high. Yeah, it yeah. I because usually there's one here or there on a show and I can kind of get past it. The number of times I picked up a homophobic joke from them on this show was just so often that I should have been writing it down. The show started in the year 2000. So I think about it from kind of that perspective, thinking, okay, so what was the world like back then? And I was only nine, ten. I was in grade five. I remember being grade five when Y2K hit. So I was like, yeah, I guess that's 10-ish, 10, 11. Yep. Anyway, I don't know what the rest of the world really was like, but I know that the queer community wasn't under a rock, but still the no. brunt of a lot of jokes, for sure. Yeah, still having a lot of the rocks thrown at them, yeah. but not living under it. But it's the, I think that's the same time period that, say, Take Friends, for example, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they had that many anti-gay jokes, but they did have the storyline with Ross's father, who is now, and I never know if it's quite clear if his parent was a trans woman who performed at cabaret shows or if he was a drag queen that also went out in public and drag. It was never, I don't know, like... Well, okay, so 
that actually <laughs> relates to the other thing I've watched recently is Tu Wong Fu, which I had never watched before. I knew about it because, you know, it's one of those things that comes out in various queer mediums. And um, I thought it was supposed to be, I thought I had read more positive things about it. And I think it was somewhat sort of positive. And it came out in 1995. So in that Can five years. Can you share year, the full name with the class? Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Okay, good. I was smart. I'm glad you're there. I've actually, I've never seen it. Well, it's, uh, it was wild. It's, it's very cute. I'm actually quite shocked at the cast. Like Patrick Swayze, who I always forget was a dancer, but I still view him as like this muscly guy. And I just am always surprised that he's a star in it. But also Wesley Snipes, who was the like number one go-to african-american action star in the 90s yeah and so it is a sharp turn to do this kind of film i like that's one thing that i i was reading everything i could to find out what made him decide to do it but like he just said yes right away so i guess he just figured whatever what do i have to lose i guess yeah that'd be fun maybe yeah right um so good good on him like i think that's great i know that a lot of black men tend to step away from queer media because there's a lot there's a lot more pressure on them uh and i i obviously i'm not a black man so i'm not really going to speak too much to that i'm just going to speak to my understanding of it and that's what made me so interested in his decision to do this film but what reminded me of watching it was what you said about Chandler's dad, I guess. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah I said dad then switched to parent just because they didn't really make it clear, I don't feel. It like. is super unclear. And I, I was always under the impression that he was in drag. But then you're right. They're also out in the world, always in drag, which in Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, <laughs> they're in drag the entire time they drive they're driving from uh new york to california and they're just in drag the entire time and they get they break down in this small town and they stay in drag so it's a very weird decision yeah that's interesting like i said i've never seen uh too long Fu. thank you for everything julie newmar but i have seen uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is like the Australian, which is it the was original. original. Yeah, and then Tu Wong yeah. Fu is kind of somewhat based or inspired by that. And they're not in drag the whole time there. Oh, they're not. Like they're, very, they're very clearly like a drag group. One of them is a trans woman. So she presents that way when they travel, but the rest don't. It's a very clear distinction. Good movie. You should watch that. I would like to. That is on my list next. Which is funny because Gilmore Girls actually references... Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. In a homophobic joke? No. It's referenced in the reboot. So, which happened only three years ago. So. So they were trying to make amends, maybe? I think so. <laughs> yeah, they did live and learn. Well, that's good. I think that's, at some point, all you can ask for. Because I, I think it's slightly unfair to look at shows that were made in the past and look at it with an entirely present-day lens. Like, I think you need to do that to a certain extent in how much, you know, how that show is remembered and thought of. Mm -hmm. But you can't 
damn it entirely. Um, one of my favorite movies at growing up was Ace Ventura, mm-hmm. uh, Pet Detective. And I have watched that recently, and it did not age well at all. No, uh, no, to the, I haven't. To the point, seen. you haven't seen it at all or recently? No, at all. Oh, really? Yeah. That is shocking. Well, spoiler alert. The big reveal in the end is that the person he was trying to find has transitioned to a woman and become head of the police force. And in a final scene consists of Ace Ventura proving his point by stripping down this trans woman trying to prove she was a man. Oh my god. And it is awkward as fuck to watch now. Like it is awful. And at the time, hilarious. And that was wrong. But that's so that one I feel you can go back and it's like it's too far past. It's not a slight joke. It's yeah, it's awkward. Yeah, that's awful. That makes me feel very uncomfortable. So I'd like to watch Ace Ventura 2 to see maybe if it holds up. Mm -hmm. But it takes place in Africa, so I'm going to guess there's probably some some racial humor that does not not really cut the mustard in today. Almost certainly. Yeah, I would would guarantee it. Otherwise, there was a weird choice of where to set it if that's not the, uh, the, the racist angle they were going. The 90s was a weird time. What else? Is there anything else that you've watched recently that doesn't hold up anymore? Uh, no, I think that was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that... And then, though, you can go back and watch The Golden Girls, a show made in the 90s, late 80s probably even, that is a bunch of old women that very understandably could not stand the test of time. And it is the exact opposite. Interesting. So I guess, yeah, so I guess maybe go back and judging is a good way of seeing if something is sort of contemporary in its humor and playing to the present or if it's sort of ahead of its time and has a a wider future lens on the world and how we should live. So you went to school where I assume you learned a little bit about storytelling and writing jokes and that sort of thing. And I'm wondering, is, does that, ever come up? Did that ever come up in what you learned or is it something that even you talk about with your comedian friends? How you write a joke that should be timeless or could be timeless? I can't recall any specific sort of conversations about that but I think sorry two of the lessons I've learned or at least internalized from that schooling and period uh, about comedy that I think is important and avoids making those kind of jokes that aren't as uh, aren't as timeless, is that you, you tell jokes and you speak from your perspective about you. And that if you punch, if you're like going to punch someone a joke, and if you're making a joke about a sensitive topic, you make sure that like the power person is the butt of the joke in the end. And that's, and so in that, sometimes there's jokes and stuff that people say are like racist or homophobic. And I sometimes disagree because they're not making fun of like, the the black person or Chinese person or gay person or trans person they're just involving them and making fun of other people uh and their ignorance and I think that's a tighter line and definitely takes more nuance but uh I think that's how it's done interesting that made any sense it does make sense and you've talked before about the the direction of the joke and that's something I always try to re- remember. Maybe I'll just remind myself to ask you every six months or so, so I get a refresher. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's an, a very important important thing to keep in mind because I think people, especially when you see jokes that make you question, is this joke appropriate? Whether it's 
a social media meme or a comedian or something, I think it's a good thing to ask yourself, first off, if I'm uncomfortable, why? But also, who is this joke actually being directed at? Yeah, because I think, I think a, a very good joke about a lot of those issues could make you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if the joke is actually making fun of the person with power or someone's ignorance, even if it makes you uncomfortable, I think it's still valid and not, um, I guess, offensive is all how you take it, but appropriately offensive then. So for my what I've been watching, kind of in this too, and it's not something I, it's, instead of like looking back at a show that happened and how it's, you know, not politically correct anymore. I was watching Ryan Murphy's Hollywood, which yes. kind of goes back in history and politically corrects it. Okay. Uh, it gives a chance of like, what if uh, gays and black people in Hollywood actually had a chance in the early days. Mm -hmm. So I liked the show. I thought it was fun. It's Ryan Murphy, so it's campy. It's continuing, I think, his goal of queering television to an extreme degree. And I was a big fan of it for that. Uh, spoiler, I don't, not, not quite spoilers, but if you are the type of person who wants to know nothing about a show, you should skip over this. Um, I found it a little vapid, a little shallow. And I think it did that because it tried to be very feel good. Oh. About these uh, different type of people trying to make it in Hollywood. Uh, the first half, I thought you got a little bit more of struggle. There was more conflict. Uh, the first half I found very interesting. And the second half, I thought it just turned over a way too large of a story very quickly and just rushed to a happy ending. Mm. Uh, which I wasn't a big fan of. That's not, that's not Ryan Murphy's way, you know? Like everything is usually so dark. Even the funny things. Yeah. And so maybe he was trying to, to, to make a change. And I don't know. I just feel like even in, the, in the, you know, the more happy ending that it had, I could have felt more fulfilled by that happy ending if I'd seen a little bit more struggle. Uh, but maybe that's just me taking to old, old tropes of how you should do those things. I will say there are two reasons that you should definitely watch it. Uh, and that's Jim Parsons who was Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. Amazing performance. And I think he's one of the characters in there that actually does, is complex, dark, and uh, you get more of that Ryan Murphy-esque feel. And the second one is Patti Lapone. Do you know Patti Lapone? I know the name and I always kind of forget. She's just a, she's a Broadway star. Right. Now she's like, she's quite old, Broadway star. That's, that's all I knew of her until uh, Ryan Murphy's show Pose, where she plays a mean landlord, amazing in that. And in this one, in Hollywood, she plays a wife of someone of a head to the studio and in the working of things gets a little power of her own. And she is just so good in it. And so those two reasons I would actually watch it. I don't know if I'd normally recommend the show, but in a time of COVID where you watch pretty much everything else, I don't think it hurts to, to waste seven or eight episodes on this one. I've always wanted to watch Hollywood. I saw the trailer for it about, well, I don't even know. Time doesn't mean anything anymore. Sometime before it came out. <laughs> and I wanted to see it, but I didn't know where to find it. And I saw it was on Netflix, which again was another surprise for me. 
And is it a limited run? It is a limited series. He has been asked because it is quite popular, even though it was critically panned, um, if he'll do a second season. Mm. And he seems open to it. I thought by watching the last episode, well, yeah, clearly he did it with the intent that he could. Like, he didn't close the door on doing another one with the storytelling. What are you going to pick? Topics. Can we talk? So in the midst of everything we're going through right now, some people think that this was just a misdirection by the American government to try and get people's mind off everyone else's crazy conspiracy theories about the pandemic. But the CIA released these videos of UFOs taken by military planes. And I don't know if you watch them, but they're, they're weird. You can't, I don't think you can figure out what it is and not say it's an alien. Have you seen them? I've only seen the still images. I haven't watched the actual video yet. They're nuts. They're very exciting. I, I guess what I wanted to say, talk about this one is two points. A, do you think that they would use that to try and change the channel? No, because it barely got any traction. I think they yeah. just knew they had to share the information at some point, and this was the right time to do it. I think this, the, the pandemic has been a distraction from the UFOs for them. I agree. I'm like, if maybe the White House did it and Trump was out there talking about it every day, like, oh, well, look at the UFOs. We're going to find them. We're going to make best friends with them. Then I would say it was a distraction, but I kind of think they had to release them and thought, well, this is a good time and no one's going to notice. Which is exactly what happened. Like a few people have picked up on it, but I, it's just one of those things that was just a blip. So I think I know where you're, where you are on this, judging from your reactions. You believe in aliens? Yeah. There's no way we're the only creatures out there. So uh, yeah, what level, like, do you, those videos aside, do you believe that aliens have come to Earth? Do they live among us? Where are you at? That's a very good question. I don't know where I'm at with that. I don't know if they live among question. us. It is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> if they've come to Earth, that assumes that they are more advanced than we are, which is totally possible. I don't think humans are all that smart, but I also can't imagine smarter creatures. Really? <laughs> not like in, not I can in hardly... That. I can hardly imagine dumber some days. Like we're, we're, we're good as a whole, but... Not that, not that I think that humans are the smartest things ever. It's just really hard to imagine. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine, like, Einstein's brain, you know? True enough. We know he existed. Yeah, I'm on, like, so I feel at a very, like, basic level, for anyone to deny that there could be something out there, like, you're just, you're fooling yourself. Like, I always get a little frustrated when they, like, find things on Mars and they're like, well, you know, there was a hint of water, but, you know, it's unlivable. Nothing could live there. I'm like, nothing that we know about. Exactly. But we don't even know what's, what's in the ocean entirely. How can we tell that we can guarantee nothing could live on another planet? And that's a very good point there. I always think about how big the ocean is and how just incomprehensible it's just so there's so much to it that of course you don't think it's in the ocean and we're on the same planet as the ocean yeah we've had time with it never mind the rest of the universe yeah and then to take it slightly further i also do believe that they have come to earth i believe ufos exist and i believe they have taken people and returned them back to earth i don't think they live here full time 
I don't think it's like a men in black situation, mm. but I do believe they have taken people and done things to people and, and put them back. For what purpose? Well, I guess because they're more advanced than us. They want to know what we're up to and what makes yeah. us sick, I guess. Exactly. Just for studying. I, if guaranteed, if we manage to make it to another planet with another living creature, we'd do that. Our science I, has not shown a history of being kind to other living things to not test them and rip I them guess, from their homes. I guess also they may be also more advanced than us in such a way where they're not going to call all out war on us and try to like take over earth and then do experiments on us on mass they just now take one at a time and yeah they want to know there's one of them everyone thinks you're crazy so (laughs) actually that's what say that's the smart strategy they also pick those like rural southern states and weird places so that they can be trusted even less. <laughs> well, but you don't think they live among us. That's I don't. The, that's the I, one, I haven't seen proof. <laughs> that's the one thing that I definitely agree with because there's no way other creatures out there who live on other planets, like you said, water on Mars, it's in, not uninhabitable. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's uninhabitable for humans, but other creatures could possibly have lived there because we don't know what they're made up of, which tells me they're not shaped like humans. Yeah, even if they got good human suits. I mean, between Trump and COVID, if they did live here, they would have gotten the hell out of Dodge. So foodie culture, is it on a decline? Or is it just changing? That's what I want to know. Now, The Atlantic put out a piece a couple weeks ago about how foodie culture as what it is, is on its way out. And the way that I read it was that foodie culture is, it's out. No one's doing that anymore. And then the piece talks about how a lot of cooking shows are focusing more on comfort because everyone's cooking at home and doing that whole thing. Uh So... It's more about comfort and home and and warmth and that sort that sort of thing. I don't think I don't think that it means that being a foodie is over. In fact, based on what I've seen and I think you've seen as well from many of our friends and what they've posted, I think that foodie culture is alive and well. And I think that more people are able to achieve the like foodie culture thing because they have this time to make interesting things at home right now. Yeah, I don't think foodie culture is anywhere near going away. I think foodie culture is becoming less pretentious and accessible to people. Because yeah, if you're just because you're not going to a Michelin star restaurant to eat 12 courses of tiny things, doesn't mean it's not foodie culture. If you want to spend now like two months at home perfecting sourdough, that's just as foodie in my head. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think there's still just as much little details that you're engaging with and there's still a whole whole thing that you're trying to get going yeah i think i think it's it's more accessible than ever uh and people people just love love food and getting into it and i yeah i think it's more pervasive than ever before like starting at like the beginning of cooking shows like making your own somewhat fancy meal or like restaurant version of something seemed impossible and out of reach to people and now now they're sous vide at home. They're doing everything. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, look at the focaccias that I don't think any of our mutual friends have posted, 
but there's the focaccia with like you do these garden designs on them so you make your focaccia and then you put long pieces of I don't know like dill or something on it to make little like trees and like olives to make little dots of bushes and it's very very pretty uh and and I think that's like the whole other level of foodiness and you know a little it's a little pretentious (laughs) my look at you was because I thought you were being real creepy because I made a focaccia this morning (laughs) with all the designs no, I don't believe in that because I, I agree with you. I think that is pretentious. If you're making a weird design, you are not getting all the nummy things in one bite. Exactly. This I keep thinking about that. Yeah. And I'm just like, why would you do that? If you were on Top Chef Canada, they'd be very unhappy with you or any Top Chef. I'm just watching both right now. But if you need to have everything in one bite. Yeah, and- so mine, exactly, spread out, much more rustic. You're not even eating a whole focaccia loaf. Is it a loaf? Bread? Um, to yourself so you're still gonna miss out on something i will take credit i didn't post my focaccia it's not about to get into that trend in the world right now i'm not will you ever uh, i'll post a dessert i make occasionally mm-hmm. all but, right yeah oh, i'll send you the picture though it was very good please do oh i love focaccia uh the one foodie trend i'm just gonna say one of our friends did it and pretense this with god love him great person we were both saying how impressed we are with the things that he has done and spent his time doing in isolation during this. But God, I hope people don't, more people don't start making cheese. Homemade cheese just, it doesn't, it disturbs me. I don't even know what all goes into making homemade cheese. I've considered making homemade, no, not even, I was going to say like cashew milk or something, but it's not even close to the same thing. No, there's no chemical reaction there. No, but isn't making homemade cheese kind of the same as making homemade yogurt? Yeah, and that is disgusting. When I bought an Instant Pot, I specifically didn't get the one with the yogurt button because I don't want to think of every time I cook something in an Instant Pot, but people making their own yogurt. It's gross. And that's a big trend. People love making their own yogurt, which doesn't even seem like, sorry, I know we were talking about cheese, but I just want to say- yogurt, it's all the same. Making your own yogurt doesn't even seem like it's a big- difference because you still have to buy a whole shit ton of milk Mm -hmm. and then a little bit of yogurt to get the cultures if you don't have some I guess like it just seems like I don't it doesn't seem cheaper and easier to me no but I guess it's about proving that you can do it I guess I made cheese once (laughs) I woke up in the middle of the night once and I was very thirsty and I drank a bunch of milk and then I'm like that didn't quench it so then I had a bunch of cranberry juice and I went to bed, and within 30 minutes, I had to throw up. No, no, no. It was cheese. You are disgusting. It's true, though. I didn't do it on purpose. Oh. But I swear to God, that was a block of cheese. So maybe that's why I don't want people making their own cheese, because I think of that. With this summer being different than past summers, a lot of in-person events are canceled almost everywhere that I know of is still not allowing groups of more than 50. Which means that pride celebrations all across at least North America are going to be canceled this year. Already the Vancouver Pride's been canceled. Uh, Tokyo Pride actually held an online pride already. That was on, I think it was May, May 5th or something. It was a while ago. 
Um, and I just, I think it's interesting and I'm curious at how it is gonna go. April 25th was Tokyo Pride. Do you have any ideas? Have you attended any party events via Zoom or any other? So I read about the, because the big one coming up is New York Pride that is planning mm -hmm. the online the online show broadcast thing. And so right. the closest thing I can relate it to is the one that we did, I guess there's one in the States too, but the one that we did, the Canada talked about on the, the previous podcast. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just going to be a lot of talking heads and stuff. Um, saying pride and community a lot. I'm not looking forward to it, to be honest. Well, what makes me concerned, I understand, I understand why we can't be in large groups, mm -hmm. but what I hope comes out of it is more supports for queer folks who aren't in good places, whether it's emotionally or physically, like they are in a home where they can't celebrate pride. Have, like a big part of having pride is all these people who, and all these kids and, and even young adults come in from all the suburbs and get to spend a weekend doing pride, living their best life for a weekend or a week. And then they go back to the suburbs, they go back to their you know, whatever other little places they're from, back to their homes that aren't as supportive. And how do those people get to celebrate Pride this year? Yeah. It's not, they may not be in a safe home where they get to tune in. You know, and I didn't actually think of this until you just said that. And so now part of me is maybe a little more on board because maybe that, that kid or that young adult at home does hopefully like has access to some sort of internet thing in their room. And maybe they do get to sit there and watch that and feel part of something. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just hope that with this like online broadcast thing, it's not just an opportunity for us to, you know, hear from Dan Levy, who's going to be one of the hosts and watch Billy Porter sing and then have Lady Gaga do Born This Way. Uh, I hope that with those, you know, big names that can draw people, they find a way to insert other community members and other stories. Cause I like my, one of my favorite parts about like the pride parade is you have like, you know, you got TD bank, you got the politicians, you got WestJet, you got all these big corporate things. And at least in Vancouver, the past few years they've done it. Like the first number of entries, the first portion of the parade is more the smaller groups. It's like the high schools in some of them. It's, you know, uh, indigenous two-spirited groups. It's a lot, not smaller, but less celebrated, less in-your-face groups. More uh, community-based. Yeah, being seen and being celebrated. So mm -hmm. I, I really, I will hold out a bit of hope into how they incorporate all that with the online prides. Well, at least for Vancouver, we still have some time until all the planning comes to a close. And I do feel, I do feel positively about Vancouver Pride. I do think that there would be some of that access and that um highlighting i guess yeah yeah of those groups the large-scale toronto pride and new york pride and all of them i guess we'll see but i do think we are getting to be in a better place in the world where those groups do get highlighted a bit more 
I don't know. I'm talking myself in circles here. I don't know. (laughs) This, I feel this could really go either way because it's being put out online. And I imagine in the States and much of the world, like New York Pride will be a big one because it is, you know, it's almost like, well, if people could normally go to New York Pride, a lot of people probably would. It has that attention. So it probably will have more attention in a virtual zone. And so maybe, maybe they can do it. Maybe they can give people the opportunity and chance to be spotlighted. So I'll, I'll hold out faith. I'll hold out hope. We'll see. And I guess to your point about you having faith in Vancouver Pride, it'll be interesting to see the difference of all the different ones. Mm-hmm. Any way you cut it, there's going to be no large in-person celebrations. It'll all be online, lower STI rates, but a lot less fun. A lot less fun. And I want to just declare, because I know that we have listeners who are going to listen and be like, you have faith in blah, 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 blah. And I just want to say, I have faith in what can happen in Vancouver during Pride. I think there are a lot of groups involved in organizing things. And so I do feel that there will be attention to more groups because we have a lot of organizers who, who make sure that there's involvement. That is an important qualification. (laughs) I'm glad you made it. Like all the colors of the rainbow, so are the gays of the week. This week, my gay of the week was born on this day that we are recording, which is May 19th. Uh, Lorraine Hansberry. She was the writer of the Broadway play A Raisin in the Sun. She was the first uh, African-American woman produced, sorry, it was the first play written by an African-American woman produced on Broadway. Um, It is an amazing uh, play. It focuses on like gender roles and um, the institution of marriage and just feminism in general. It's ugh, so great. She's so great. Uh, I, but then when I was just reading about all this, I got kind of sad because I learned she married a man in 1953. They got divorced in 1964. And then she died a year later. Oh, wow. Yeah. The marriage, it says the marriage lasted only a few years because Hansberry soon began coming to terms with her lesbianism. So they separated in 1957, and then she, her play came out in 1959. Mm. So you can kind of see where like that trend kind of is and what has happened, but it just makes me so sad that she didn't have more time to really enjoy, enjoy her, her life and her lesbianism. Um, she only, she's only 34 when she died. Oh, what, oh, what do you, do, do you know what she died of? Pancreatic cancer. Oh God, that's a bad one. Yeah. So, uh, so this episode is for Lorraine Hansberry. I just gotta say, that's like one of the amazing things about, uh, about doing anything in art is that like a raisin in the sun is still out there Mm -hmm. and her life was not for nothing. And that has, I'm sure made a difference in people's lives and made them feel and does to this day. And that's, that was very Pollyanna of me, but that just warmed my heart, so I had to say it. I love when you get Pollyanna. <laughs> um, my game of the week is more commonly known as the Roe in Roe versus Wade. Ooh. Uh, 
Norma McCorvey. Uh, so I was recently reading about her because a documentary is coming out on her life. And she had, a part of this documentary is she had a longtime girlfriend. So she was queer. And the documentary talks about something that I just found fascinating. And at first I wanted to rage. And I guess I'm getting older. So I thought maybe I should learn more before I rage. So she was the plaintiff in Roe versus Wade that got abortion somewhat legal in the States, although there's lots of issues and access and such, uh, but it is still, I think, to some degree a right, uh, or at least, yeah, a little bit. And years later, she kind of got co-opted by the anti-abortion movement and paid a lot of money to be their spokesperson against abortion. And she was at rallies, she was in the media saying how abortion's wrong and it shouldn't have been legalized. And in this documentary, she kind of tells all and says that you know, she did it for money. They were playing her, they were kind of using her, uh, but she at the same time was doing it for her benefit. And it, it made me ragey, but I, I wanna learn more before I get full into it. And it just reminded me of the, the complexity of people and especially when they have to do certain things to, I don't know if she needed the money that badly and, you know, it was her claim to fame. So it's what she had to use. Interesting. Yeah, now I am definitely going to learn more and you know we're gonna get messages about this, which thrills me because you know that we know people who definitely know more. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, so the documentary is called AKA Jane Roe. And yeah, my gave the week is Norma McCorvey, Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade. Another episode done, Jarrett. I just want to say to you and to the audience, I'm pretty sure it's a technology thing, but Ashley laughs a lot less at my jokes via virtual podcasting. And I just want to assure everyone they're still funny. <laughs> but you do you I, laugh less. It's true. It, and I think it is the virtual thing, to be honest. Uh, it's a little bit harder to pick up certain cues or like I'm a little less giddy, you know? Yeah, I yeah. do know. I see it. The screen. <laughs> the screen you is might be less, You might be less giddy, but you're no less enjoyable, Ashley. It's so nice to see your face. It is nice to see your face, too. And and you're not less funny. Oh, thank you. You're well. <laughs> <laughs> if you also think we're funny and would like to keep hearing what we're doing, like and subscribe on whatever listening app you listen on. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, whatever that's called. Uh, you can also just go straight to anchor.fm slash friends. Yeah, and if you want to see more about what we're doing, maybe I'll even make Ashley post my focaccia since I won't post my focaccia on our Instagram at gaybestfriendspodcast. And if you have any big feedback for us, you want to send us questions or... Share a story. Wanna... <laughs> yeah, send us stories. Send us. I, again, I like questions. I really enjoyed doing questions in the past. So whatever, whatever you want to send, if it's even about somebody else, email us at gaybestfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Oh my God, you know I hate a gossip, but especially if it's about someone else. Until next time, and hopefully soon enough in person. Bye, besties. Bye, besties. <laughs>